Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello legends and welcome back to the Top Edge podcast for another week. We are recording on Monday night just before Australia and Ireland play. Hopefully there's no rain there and actually get some play. Uh, Still pretty wet, but we're here with Callum once again. How are you doing this week, Callum? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Uh, Thankfully dry. I've been able to stay inside most of of the week, so that's been good. (laughs) Yeah, not so dry in Canberra today. It uh, It has been very wet so far. A little bit of flooding around. But that's all right. Nice and warm inside, that's for sure. Uh, it's been a very big week of cricket, obviously, with the World Cup and the WBBL continuing. The highlights for me so far was Basta Lead getting smashed in the face. Um, that was a, a very nasty bounce. So we'll put some pictures of that one up on Instagram. And then today, some some odd video came out from Virat Kohli that uh, some people broke into his hotel room, which is which is obviously not good. No, you, 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 you kind of wonder how that happened. Like, was the door open or did they, like... Because you usually have key cards with hotel rooms, right? So what yeah. did they did they cut out a perfect copy of his key card or something? Um, I don't really know, but yeah, it's it's definitely a concern. It's definitely a safety concern. And um, yeah, you know when when you know when you're hosting a World Cup, you know uh, an event mm-hmm. of this magnitude and that sort of thing, um, you know where the athletes are staying need to be safe places, and clearly whatever this particular place was fell short of the standard that you'd probably expect. Yeah, I think they'll be asking some questions of uh, the cleaners and stuff like that. Maybe a, a room key, key has slipped in some fans' hands when it shouldn't have. Maybe something like that. But I think, yeah, the, the BCCI and, and Cricket Australia should definitely be upping some uh, security there, possibly moving Virat out of that hotel as well. Maybe just giving him some less, uh, a little bit safer to stay. But the other thing I want to touch on before we get into the big stuff was this tournament has been a lot more even between the batters and bowlers, which I think has been a good thing. Uh, the reinforced seam of the Kookaburra ball has brought two degrees of seam in the power play, which has kind of allowed the, the bowlers to get on top early. And that's kind of why we've seen some some lower scores, which has been good. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of the way this tournament's played out. It's sort of how you intended T20 cricket. Like when they introduced T20 as a format, they introduced it to be quicker, but they wanted it to still be a good contest between bat and ball. And, you know, over probably the past 12, 15 years, it's probably more batting centric. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, changing, changing the ball dimensions just a bit so that, um, the boulders can get a say in and can be influential in the, uh, in the result more often than they used to be. Um, I think that's a good thing. And, um, yeah, that's the, I mean, no matter how long a, um, a cricket match is, you want it to be a good contest between bat and ball. And, um, that's certainly been better in this, in this world cup so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a much better tournament, that's for sure. Before we get into the main stuff, though, let's uh, let's just kick off with the socials. Make sure you're following everything at the Top Edge Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, leave reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Obviously, Spotify, just the stars, but make sure you do that. We'll get into the World Cup, though, and we'll start off with the Australian games. Well, Australian games, since that one was rained off against England, obviously, which was a massive disappointment. But uh, Australia got a win against Sri Lanka, which is good. Started the tournament off with a win and a loss, but... They're looking good so far. I think that was a, a very convincing innings from Marcus Stoinis, uh, one of the the best T20 knocks we've seen in a long time. Yeah, it was um it was incredible. The uh, um you know afterwards, and um you and I have been covering it quite closely on um Edge of the Crowd the website as well. Um, after 
um, here's is knock. Um, they asked Stoinis, was probably the best I've ever seen you bat. Do you feel like it's the best you've ever batted? He's like, oh, I didn't really feel like batting. It was more slogging. <laughs> um, so I, I respect him for uh, for reflecting it um, in, in that respect. But yeah, it was just, you know, he, he saw the situation. He came in and he went, you know, this is this is my time. I need to either go big or go home, which is um, been the theme of another particular cricketer that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and he went big on this occasion, and it, it worked out really well. And um, it was it was a really important win for Australia. Um, maybe it was closer than they'd have wanted, but you know, yeah. wins a win. And with with the rain influencing the group stage and that sort of thing, any win you can get is proving to be very important. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was pretty disappointed though by the bowling effort. I, I felt that you know in Perth with you know Stark, Cummins, and Hazelwood, the, those three quick bowlers who get a lot of bounce, they should have really blown Sri Lanka away and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, well, they didn't follow Mitch Marsh's suggestion of um, bowling him in the first over, <laughs> so I guess that was that was part of the issue. Um, no, I don't know. There's something, there's something about, I guess, part of it's shifting venues and part of it is mentality when you're bowling, you know, whether you're trying to bowl for a good economy or bowl for wickets, you probably should be doing the latter but I know in certain match situations it can be difficult, and especially when you got bowlers like Hazelwood and like Cummins who, who have been known to be economical, you know, in the other formats and that sort of thing. Um, they're perhaps not hitting the right lengths that they want to be to have those kind of you know aggressive, menacing Australian bowling attacks that you've had in the past, you know, with Johnson or Lee looking further back and that sort of thing. Um, so you know it's something to adjust and it's something that they need to look at and adjust soon because, um, you know, it's getting, getting down to the wire in group stage plus and, you know, right now Australia aren't going through. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's something to look out for. Yeah. Pat Cummins went for 36 from his four overs and, you know, that's expensive once again from him. He's been expensive for pretty much the last two years in T20 cricket. It hasn't really worked for him. Uh, what I found interesting was obviously Adam Zampa didn't play with COVID and, and Agar came and he bowled pretty well, but Mitchell Stark did not open the bowling. They gave it to the first over to Hazelwood and then Cummins came in for the second. And it feels like the reason for that is not to take more wickets. It feels like it's to save Pat Cummins from getting smashed towards the, the end of the innings, you know, not having to have him bowl as many death overs and, and saving Mitchell Stark for a little bit later. I just feel like if you want to win T20 games, you have to be taking wickets early, right? And especially as we mentioned off the top there, uh, taking wickets with a, a ball that is seeming more than it, uh, than it used to be. So Stark opening up would make a little bit more sense there, but it feels like you've got to save Cummins and that means pushing Mitchell Stark a little bit further back and it's, it's just not working for me. I don't know if it's same, saving Cummins as much as um, they felt the Sri Lankans didn't play right-handed seam bowling as well, That's but I, I, I understand where you're coming from. And yeah, look, I mean... Even if you have a right-hand heavy batting lineup, um, in-swing is is dangerous, yeah. <laughs> and um, that's exactly what Mitchell Stark would get if he bowled, you know, those early overs and that sort of thing. And um, you know, he's the fastest bowler, so you know, the ball feels hardest at the beginning of the innings. So why would you not bowl at the fastest when it feels the hardest? You know, that that would be my logic for that, but. Yeah, I guess there is an element of trying to protect Cummins, um, especially for, you know, like the the leadership role he holds and that sort of thing. You know, if he consistently goes for, you know, 
10 runs and over or something like that, then that could have a negative effect on, you know, team morale and that sort of thing. So I guess there's an element of that, but it is it is probably hurting Australia's tactics and hurting their their prospects of, you know, really putting a batting team on the back foot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think Australia, obviously, that game was rained out against England, so I don't have to worry about that. Two weaker teams now in Ireland and Afghanistan to finish off. They should win both of those pretty comfortably, no matter who they play. It might be a chance to, I don't know, change the order up a little bit or, or bring a different bowler in, maybe Cam Green in for Pat Cummins, as some suggested. You know, have Green bowl four overs and then move Finch into the middle order. Uh, there's plenty of options there, but the, the oddest one we saw during the week was that Glenn Maxwell might have been taking the gloves because uh, Matthew Wade was, was uh, well, he was meant to be out with COVID. Obviously, that didn't happen. That was uh, a little bit of fun for a while. They're speculating on who was going to be the keeper. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess since they're not bowling Maxwell, I guess he may as well <laughs> may as well take the gloves. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who would be the most natural-born wicketkeeper in the rest of that squad. But yeah, I guess I guess he's the one who comes to mind. He's 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 definitely eccentric enough to fill that role. Yeah. You know, I feel like wicketkeeper position in cricket is sort of like the goalkeeper position in soccer. Yeah. You got to be a little bit nuts to do it. <laughs> and um, you know. Um, all, all respect to Glenn Maxwell. You know, he's, he's a great character. He's, um, he's an amazing cricketer, obviously. Um, hugely influential in Australia, limited overs teams. Mm. Probably hard done by not to have played more tests than he has. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the first to volunteer to do it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that would have been interesting to see. But Wade was all right. And um, Wade's definitely, you know, the keeper you want in, in regards to that squad. And, um, yeah, it all, it all worked out in the end. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of that position is a confidence position. As long as you feel like you can you can do the job, you'll do it okay. And in T20 cricket, in reality, you're, you're catching, what, 10 balls and in innings maybe, and then just catching stuff enough uh, throws the bet from the boundary. So, yeah, not a massive job. In test cricket, obviously, a little bit different. We'll move on, though, to some of the other big games that we've seen during the week. And the first one is obviously India and Pakistan. That was a, a massive contest, 90,000 people at the G. And uh, Virat Kohli proved that he's just as good as he ever was with 82 from 53, and he, he led the Indians home. Yeah, that was huge. That 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 game was like, you know, game of the decade feeling kind of thing. It was um really unreal. Like the atmosphere, it looked like it was deafening. Um, yeah. Um, as 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 you said, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Virat Kohli stepped up and had a huge performance, and it went right down to the wire as well. Um, you know, there was emotion, there was, there was, um, you know, certain tactical choices that you're like, oh, I wonder if this is going to work. And a lot of them did end up working, which was quite, yeah. quite good. And what, what made for quite an intriguing contest. And um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you want to see out of a T20. It had everything. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, that atmosphere is incredible. Obviously we see India and Pakistan play each other at every world cup. Somehow they managed to end up in the same group. Who knows how that happens, but uh yeah, India, they took, obviously, Rizwan and, and, and Barbarazm at the top of the innings, did that pretty easily. And from there, you know, Pakistan, uh, another team that's very top-heavy, Shan Masood and Iftikhar Ahmed both hit 50s, but you never thought that, you know, a 200 score was on the cards. And, uh, you know, India chased that down pretty easily, really. Like, Virat Kohli, obviously, 82 or 53, pretty good stuff there. Hardik Pandya, 40 from 37, and then no one else really chipped in. And, and that was the big issue, right? There, there's a... You know, there's a big gap in the middle order and then at the top of the order of India as well with KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma not really getting onto the ball. And then, you know, DK couldn't do what he does at the end of the innings and finish it off. But Ashwin did. He uh, he smacked one over the top of, of long off, hit four off the last ball and finished it off. That final over 
felt like it went for about 15 minutes and I, and I think it probably did in the end. It was, yeah, it, I don't think it could have finished any better really. No, no, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really quite a moment. And um, I'd say probably the right result in, in respect to like how the balance of the game played out yeah. India were, were a bit better. Um, it just got kind of close at the end, but um, yeah, no, they, um, they showed their poise and they uh, got through it. And um, yeah, Ashwin, you know, he's never going to back down when it comes to batting, bowling, talking, anything. Ashwin's yeah. going to be ready for it. And um, yeah, he, um, he he got the winning runs and um, yep, proving that he he maybe is that bowling all-rounder that he claims he is. Yeah, uh, I think it's also put a big dent in Pakistan's confidence as well. Obviously, they lo- lose a game a little bit later. Uh, to Zimbabwe as well. And I think that lost India is a big part of it, you know, going so close and, and not being able to get it done in a game that's probably bigger than the final, really. Uh, even in crowd, it might end up bigger than the final. Who knows? But we'll move on to another game that I was, once again, disappointed for, about, and that was South Africa and Zimbabwe. Uh, Zimbabwe didn't make a ton from there. I think it was nine overs, and then there was a bunch of rain around. South Africa came out firing. Quinton de Kock, 48 off 17, something like that. Uh, Bavuma like two not out, which is you know no surprise at all really. Uh, but then the game was rained off. South Africa though were way ahead of where DLS would have been, even if they lost ten wickets. You know they wouldn't have had to come back out if there was no rain. It's just a you know a quirk in the system that that doesn't really help anyone. Yeah, well, luckily for South Africa, they seem to be writing that wrong with how they're performing in the rest of the tournament. So they're, they're not too worried about that, but yeah, I mean, you're right. There's been, there's been lots of questions of weather and lots of questions of, you know, what facilities they were using. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these things are organized years in advance. And unfortunately you can't predict whether a day in advance, let alone years in advance, <laughs> you know, despite what the uh, Bureau might tell you. Um, it's uh yeah, it's quite unpredictable, and um, there's only you know only so many uh, facilities um, that are suitable for you know this kind of large scale tournament. And yeah, that game sadly got rained off, and um, they uh, they didn't play enough um, for the DLS system to come come into play, um, which you know makes sense if you play less than half a T20. That's kind of not really not really the purpose anyway. So, yeah, it's just unfortunate and um, there's just not time to replay anything. So they just need to soldier forward and do the best that they can. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of luck for Zimbabwe, though. You know, that having that game rained off has kept them in the, in the tournament now. You know, there's a chance they could still make semifinals if they upset Pakistan, which, you know, there's every, every chance they could do. That would be, that would be very good. Um, another game that was DLS, uh, well, DLS played a big part in, was Ireland beating England. Uh, everyone seemed to call this an upset, but, you know, Ireland seemed to beat England literally every time they play them. So uh, I can't really think it's that big of an upset. The Kings of Europe have done it again. Uh, Paul Sterling, Andrew Balberni got off to a great start. They hit something like 90 in those first 10 overs, and that's really where they won that game. Uh, you know, that big score up the top. They fell away towards the end there, posting 157, but the pitch did seem to get quite a, uh, quite a bit more difficult. Then England lost their openers nice and early, but log on for a dark. Hale was for seven. Uh, Milan tried to keep things steady, but 35 or 37 is not going to win your games. And then, you know, the rain kicked in probably, I don't know, five balls too late for Eng- uh, too early for England. If, if they stayed around, maybe they hit a couple of sixes. You know, Livingston was in and, and they could have won. But uh, Ireland get the two points there. Yep, yep. Um, 
I mean, it was a good performance from Ireland and um, definitely the performance at the beginning of in, um, of England's uh, batting innings was really impressive. They, yeah. they had some really disciplined bowling, but they also weren't afraid to, you know, maybe pop it short every now and again and mm-hmm. just kept um, hails off balance, you know, in particular. That's what I noticed in that game. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, you say Ireland do often tend to beat England. And um, I guess a part of that is... Ireland feel like England are their rivals and they kind of elevate their game whenever they play them. And when Ireland's top order are firing like they were in that game, they're a very dangerous team and they showed it. And that's, you know, why they took points off of, you know, one of the favourites of the tournament. Yeah, a good win for Ireland that helps Australia a lot as well. You know, if England get the two points there, Australia is basically out of the tournament. They needed quite a few results to go their way now. Australia has it back in their own hands, which is, of course, good for us. The next thriller was Zimbabwe defeating Pakistan on the last ball over in Perth. If you stayed up till two o'clock in the morning to watch this one, good on you because uh, a little bit of a slog that uh, paid off towards the end, let's say that. Uh, Zimbabwe made 130 in their 20 overs. No one really was that impressive with the bat. Brad Evans hit uh, 19 or 15 towards the end. Uh, Sean Williams with 31 from 28, but nothing all that exciting. Mohamed Wazim took four for 24. But uh, Zimbabwe did what they needed to do and took the openers early. Uh, Rizwan, 14 off 16, and Babarazam, just four off nine. So nice and slow, taking up some, some balls there. And it got down right down to the last ball. And uh, Zimbabwe got the job done, took the points. And Sakanda Raza, man of the match, no surprise there. Nope, no surprise. Raza's the four man in T20. And um, yep. let's hope he comes over as a T20 or Livingston replacement. That would be mm. fun. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, um, I feel like Zimbabwe are one of the stronger bowling sides, like, in the whole tournament. Yeah. Just the way they approach it, you know. They they don't try to do too much. Um, they're really positive with their bowling changes. You know, they, they integrate Williams in. They, they integrate Raza in, who are both quite dangerous for, you know, all-rounders. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just feel like you never exactly know as a batting team what Zimbabwe are going to throw at you. And I think that's a particular particular element that they've got that maybe Australia, for example, doesn't have. And um, yeah, that that I feel like that came came to fruition in their uh, win against Pakistan. And like you mentioned, getting getting Barbarazm and um, Rizwan, that's kind of big when you're playing Pakistan. And yeah, um, you know, Barbarazm got them going. And uh, since the loss to India, like you mentioned, they do look deflated and they just feel like. They're a big confidence team. You know, we've said that a few times and um, their confidence is down, which means their performance is down. Yeah, I, I think the key for Zimbabwe there is the height of their bowls, especially playing in Perth. You know, obviously a very bouncy wicket and, and Navara, Musrabani and Evans are all six foot five plus. I think Musrabani's pushing seven feet tall. And uh, if you're bowling, you know, even 130s, some of them are a bit quicker than that, but even 130s at that height, it's going to be very difficult, especially for Pakistan, obviously used to some very... Uh, very low wickets at home, so I, th- I think that was that was really the key there. And hopefully Zimbabwe can keep going. I'd love to see them make the semi-final. I think that would be that would be absolutely massive. Uh, they're having quite a good couple of months, obviously beating Australia uh, at home a little bit earlier. But the ma- match we saw overnight was uh, another late one in Perth. But South Africa, they did it against India, which is probably the biggest game in terms of what's going to happen in that group. Uh, it really does open it up for all the teams. But I feel like South Africa's already got their foot in the door for for semifinals at this point they do um look when you think about it south africa should have already qualified at this point um you know just rain happened um but yeah they they 
they performed really well. Um, and, you know, every single, you know, tournament where South Africa is involved in, they never, they never seem to be the favorite, but they always seem to be the dark horse. And, you know, they, they've done it again, topping, topping that group right now. And um, yeah, just getting performances from their middle order batting in particular has been really good. And um, they've always been a great bowling team and they're showing it again. Yeah, a bit like Zimbabwe, really helped by that Perth pitch, obviously. Uh, Norky is very fast. I think he was hitting somewhere like 155, 156 on that pitch. Uh, I think the speed guns are a little bit helpful to the bowlers this tournament. But even then, that's um, very quick. And I'd say quite disappointing. We're not going to see them play a test over there because that would be uh, that would be incredible to see, but they'll be here for the summer anyway. Uh, David Miller, 59 from 46, saved the day once again for South Africa. And for me, I think he should be the captain of this side. I, I think, you know, Bavuma has, he tries, definitely tries, but it's, it's obviously not working for him. He hasn't hit double figures in, I oh, hit 10 last night. So that was his first double figure score since, uh, well, September is when he last made a double figure score. So yeah, I think it's it's time for him to go. I think we talked about Aaron Finch going for a little while, but Bavuma is uh, a long way behind even Finch. There's just a heavy volume of T20 games you play. So you say, like, you know, since September, you're like, oh, that wasn't very long ago, but, it's you know, like they probably played games or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 12 or 16 games. And you're like, oh, okay, that's actually uh, quite a cause for concern. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's um, it's unfortunate about Bavuma, but he's he's ultimately not not a short-form player. You know, yeah. um, some players have, have proven otherwise, you know, I think of Hazelwood as an example, um, but Bavuma has tried his very best, as you mentioned. Um, you know, he's a good good captain. He's a good guy to have around, but he's just not performing with the bat and they're ultimately suffering because of it. I mean, they're still winning and being successful, which is really good. But just think of how much more successful they could be if they had, you know, a more, if they had Rousseau opening, for example, or something like that. Um how much more dynamic their batting lineup would be. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you with that. Um, David Miller has been really good in T20 for a while. Um, you know, does a bit of everything. So perhaps maybe captaincy would be that level too much. But, you know, looking at looking at potential captains for South Africa, he, he definitely seems to be, be the choice when you're looking at, you know, who's been in the team longest, who's kind of the senior guy and that sort of thing. Yeah, so Bavuma has won T20i half century to his name, averages 22 at a strike rate of 113. They're, they're not good enough numbers, really. Obviously, you know, we've said it before, good ODI and T20, uh, good ODI and test player. T20 cricket, he's, he's just, uh, he's not strong enough to, to really muscle the ball over the boundaries. I would have thought in Australia he'd be able to, you know, push ones and twos, but even then, uh, he seems to not be able to pierce the infield at the moment, which is a problem. It's kind of the similar problem that Finch has at the minute as well, that he's not rotating the strike. So maybe moving him down the order is the answer there. As he said, open with Rousseau and maybe have Bavuma coming at three or four, let him in after the power play and maybe play his way in. That might work. But for me, Reza Hendricks is sitting on the bench at the moment. He averages 30 uh, in T20i cricket, has 11 T20i half centuries and is ranked 13th in the world. Uh, Bavuma is something like 98th. I mean, at, at some point, you just have to make that change in that, and I think that's got to uh, that's got to come pretty soon because I don't see how they can win finals with with someone that's taking up you know four off ten balls at the start of the innings. It's just it's not working. Uh, we'll move on to something a little bit different though, and that's the amount of upsets we've had in this tournament so far. So from my count, we've had Namibia defeat Sri Lanka, Scotland defeat the West Indies, Ireland defeat the West Indies, Ireland then defeated England, Zimbabwe defeated Pakistan, Bangladesh has defeated Zimbabwe, and then South Africa 
defeated India. So it's uh, not a great one for the punters, that's for sure. Lost a few dollars on this one. But uh, it's been good for the tournament overall, not being able to predict exactly who's going to win. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Um, I was really, really happy to see Bangladesh um, bounce back. Um, you know, they they have a great spirit about them. Uh, you know, I say that every time we bring them up because I just, you know, I, re- I really like them. And, um, yeah, they um, they've performed well in this tournament. They've done done really well. And, um, yeah, I think with with more upsets, I think that's symptomatic of the point you made kind of at the top of the episode about the the bowling being yep. more relevant and um you know all the teams that are in the uh the super 12 you know group stage plus they all have good bowling attacks and that's um that's definitely been something being a factor in this tournament and i think it's also been a factor in all of those upsets that you mentioned you know um in in scotland's win they bowled really well in both of ireland's wins they bowled pretty well um and yeah, it's it's been really good to see. And um, I really like competitive tournaments, and um, I I especially like um, not being able to predict um, who's going to come in because you know we we spoke about it before the tournament. And we went, oh yeah, we think these four teams will get in. They'll probably dominate that sort of thing. And it hasn't panned out that way. And it's made for a much more interesting tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've said it before on the podcast, but uh, when it comes to these, you know, lower ranked teams or not quite as good teams, the bowling is usually quite even. Uh, across kind of the whole of uh, most of the world, you know, the top 15 teams, the bowlings uh, relatively even, you're not going to see like, I don't know, India post 300 against one of these sides. That's just not going to happen, but it's, it's really the batting that's let them down. But what's happened, as you said there with the, the ball coming more into the game is that, uh, you know, teams been able to keep the opposition a little bit lower in scores and they'll be able to chase down one thirties, one forties, one fifties, which uh, aren't beyond some of these sides, which is, is good to see. And, you know, upsets are always good. We might see Zimbabwe in the semifinals, which would be excellent. But let's have a look at what could happen in the table. So it looks like New Zealand is going to make it through to the finals. Their net run rate is uh, insane. Obviously, two pretty big wins and unlucky to have one rained off uh, against Afghanistan. They've just got Ireland and England to play. And that England game, I think, is going to be the big one. That'll decide, you know, if New Zealand finishes on top, uh, finishes second, or if you know, if England were to lose, then maybe Australia can make their way through. That's kind of where those permutations happen. Obviously, an upset against Ireland would uh, would open things right up. And then, obviously, just one spot left. So, if you assume that Australia beats Ireland and Afghanistan, it's going to come down to net run rate effectively. Uh, and, you know, there could be another uh, couple more rained out games. It's meant to rain in Brisbane over the next week. And then, obviously, Melbourne's going to rain every day for the next nine years. So... Uh, there'll be some rained out games there and hopefully not one in the final. That would be disappointing. Uh, over to group two though. And the semifinals, obviously we said before, uh, India look pretty good. They, they're likely to finish second. I think South Africa, uh, you know, as we said, one foot in the door. So it's really going to come down to what happens with India. You know, if, if they can beat Bangladesh and Zimbabwe to finish, which they should do, then, then they'll finish second and South Africa will get through. So Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and India are those finalists. I don't think that's quite what we predicted last week. No, we thought it would be Australia, England, India, Pakistan. So um, two, two out of four, that's still a passing passing grade. <laughs> you know, we're both uni students, so, so we respect that. Um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been good that it's been, um, been a bit different. And, um, you know, I would be very interested if Bangladesh beat India. That yeah. would be insane. But... I don't think it's going to happen. I think you're right. I think those are the teams that are going to go through. 
and um, it should um, pose a pretty good um, a pretty good semi-final because if you think about it that way, then it would be New Zealand versus India and Australia versus uh, South Africa, which will both be very good contests. And um, yeah, um, it's it's poised to be a really good semi-final no matter who gets through. But um, if it's those teams, it'll be really high-level stuff. Yeah, so that that Adela- uh, sorry that India Bangladesh game will be in Adelaide, which uh, looking at the forecast now is not going to rain uh, on that day. So that is that's good news, obviously. And I think that pitch might favour uh, Bangladesh a little bit. Very short square boundaries might allow their uh, their sweepers to get to get going against the spinners. And uh, you never know, Bangladesh might cause an upset there. But I, I feel like India is probably that other team to get through. Uh, some of the games looking forward to, obviously Australia play Ireland tonight. That toss is happening in half an hour. Uh, but the other ones for me, England and New Zealand and, and Zimbabwe against India in that final match, they're, they're the ones I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're going to be really good. Um, yeah, particularly um, New Zealand and England. I think that's going to be maybe the best game of the whole tournament, you know, just in terms of the form that New Zealand is in. And, you know, England will feel they have a point to prove, especially after losing to Ireland and, you know, being touted as, you know, one of these great T20 sides, um, you know, they'll be extra determined um so i think that's going to be a really good one to look forward to and um yeah the tournament's been really good it's been um it's been a shame that we've had the had the rain in the various games that we've had it but you know gives you gives you a chance to breathe gives you a chance to think about it and gives us a chance to talk about it so you know that's always good and uh yeah it's um more to look forward to for sure yeah let's talk about the weather though so uh melbourne it has been the wettest place in the world Obviously, October and November are, are pretty wet times in Melbourne. Uh, the highest rainfall of any of the months, but apparently less days than it rains uh, during like the summer for some reason. So there's more rain, uh, more heavy rain during this time of the year than others. So it means like you, you're less likely to get on the field. Uh, it's just been disappointing though. And, you know, there is a stadium with a roof 15 minutes from the MCG. You can't quite walk there, but it's pretty close. Um, should the ICC have had a chat to the AFL about you know, using Marvel Stadium, putting a pitch in there and, and getting it up and running as a, as a second venue? Possibly. Um, I feel like, you know, considering Jonathan Trott's comments over this past week um, and, you know, some of the rumblings across social media and that sort of thing, um, it's maybe something that should have been discussed and should have been more considered as an option. But, you know, again, these things are organized years in advance. And obviously in those in those organizations, they didn't put Marvel Stadium as a possibility. So, you know, there's no real real way around that. You can't just, you know, phone up the stadium operator and go, oh, hey, um, it's a bit rainy. Yeah. Can, we, can we just go over there? Um, no, it doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, there's lots of... Um, lots of different factors to consider, especially, you know, like tickets and fans and that sort of thing. Uh, not even tickets. There's there's not even a pitch at Marvel Stadium at the moment. You know, they don't put that in until the start of the Big Bash. So it's still a month away from having a pitch in it. Yes, that's also an issue. You <laughs> don't want to play on just grass. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it wasn't something that was really an option. So, you know, people criticising it kind of need to, you know, look at it and think you can't just mow in a pitch. You know, these things need to be curated. Yeah, uh, not quite possible in this tournament, but uh, Australia's hosting the 2028 World Cup, I believe it is. So one to have a look at going forward, I think. Um, obviously, it brings us on to the, the chat about climate change, right, and what the, the future of cricket's going to look like. Obviously, more wet days. We've already seen that. The Lina, third Lanina in a row, it has been incredibly wet in Australia, and I, I would assume it's going to continue to. And when it's not extremely wet, it's going to be extremely hot, and you're going to have, like, super hot days 
more days of 40 degrees plus, which is not great for fans, not great for players, not really great for anyone, including the broadcasters. If you remember back to that Brisbane test last year when the, the cameras went out because the, the studios were too hot, um, we could see quite a lot more of that. And I think uh, climate change is going to be a massive part of, of how cricket is played going forward. Yeah, yeah. Maybe um, looking at more more indoor cricket will be be more of a serious suggestion, um, yeah. you know, when it comes to comes to this sort of thing. Um, obviously, it's disappointing and it's, you know, it's concerning climate change as a whole, you know, um, when it comes to spoiling the conditions of, you know, high quality cricket. I mean, you can still have quality cricket in really hot conditions, but, you know, more things are getting rained out, as you mentioned. Um, it's not comfortable for anyone involved. When it gets to 40 plus, it becomes, you know, kind of a safety issue, heat stroke, you know, that sort of thing. Um, dehydration um, feels awful to um, be suffering from dehydration. So, you know, imagine, you know, running as hard as you can 12, 12 meters every time you're, you know, bowling a ball in a test, for example, that would be just be killer. And um, yeah, so it's something, something that needs to be considered as a factor for um, cricket and cricket organizing going forward. And um, perhaps it's um, maybe about changing in the facilities, maybe some, some, some cooling systems, some, I'm not exactly sure how they'd integrate that, but I'm, I'm sure it's possible, you know, considering the amount of indoor stadiums they've got in um, the United States, for example. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that's maybe a possibility and something that might be worth investing in. Yeah, I think uh, roof should have been uh, on the top of the list for any new stadiums that are being built. Obviously, there was that massive one in India that was, uh, that's been built recently, 120,000 seats or something. Um, that doesn't have a roof. I think that should have been an option. The Optus Stadium also recently built, doesn't have a roof and probably should have, although Perth is a little bit different. Not quite as much rain there, but it's affecting the international game as well. South African curators think that it's bringing in a lot more spinners uh, due to climate change. Their pitches are getting much drier, uh, which means, you know, less grass on the wicket, more spinners coming into it. That's why we've seen like Maharaj and, and Shamsi really uh, rise up the rankings. And even in test cricket, the uh, spin is making... Uh, a lot more of an impact in South Africa, although sandpaper helps a little bit as well with some of the scene we see. Um, but the, I think the big answer is going to be hybrid wickets, right? We saw it in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games. And I think uh, the USA in 2024, when they host this T20 World Cup along with the West Indies, are also going to use hybrid wickets. And what that's going to allow is just uh, the weather to have a little bit less of an impact on, on what's happening uh, with the pitch. And I think that's, that's going to be important going forward. Yeah, for sure. And um, the more that um, you curate hybrid pitches, the better quality they're going to get. So, you know, it's um, it's something that, you know, we should probably look at even in some conditions where we know it's going to be sunny. Maybe maybe try to get a good hybrid pitch and see see how it goes. Um, because, yeah, like you mentioned, you 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 ultimately don't want it to spoil the quality of the cricket if the pitch isn't up to standard. And we've seen a lot of substandard pitches more so in the past, you know, three to five years. And I think that's been because of weather and, you know, things like that facilities. So yeah, that's something that needs to be addressed. And um, that's certainly a way to address it. Yeah. Before we move on though, I want to talk about the captains. This will be the last one in the world cup. that seemed to go for a little while. Um, so I'll just name some captains here. Mohamed Nabi's hit three runs. Aaron Finch is striking at 83. Shakib Al-Hassan. Averaging 10, Joss Butler averaging nine, Erasmus for the uh, for Namibia was striking at just 73. Uh, Edwards for the Netherlands, averaging 14. Kane Williams obviously has his issues and was striking at 86. Babarazm is averaging just 2.6 in the tournament. Bavuma, we've already spoken about. Puran hit 
I was averaging just eight before the West Indies were knocked out. Craig Irvine for Zimbabwe is striking at 97. Uh, it seems like Rohit Sharma is the only one that's done well and he's averaging like 20 here one half century. There seems to be a massive disconnect between the players and the captains in terms of uh, performance there. It seems like a, a lot of teams are carrying their captains through this tournament. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? When you, when you look at that, you know, you, you used to think of cricket, the captain is the best player. Yeah. kind of moved away from that at least in this tournament um the captain's the best tactician um which is fine and um you know it, it's certainly been working for some teams you know you look at south africa for example um but yeah you know it's it's ultimately ultimately a situation of something's got to give yeah. <laughs> and um you know you you want some leading from the front and you're just not getting it in this tournament or with certain captains that we've spoken about before. Yeah. Gone are the days of Ricky Ponting leading by averaging 60 with the bat. That's um, not how it's quite done anymore. Uh, we'll move on though. That's enough for the world cup. We'll have more of that next week. I'm sure I'll move on to WBBL, which is the other big competition. I'll be honest. I haven't seen a lot of it this week because it's been a little bit overshadowed by the world cup, but what I have seen are the strikers are looking very good again. Uh, we spoke last week that they were a little bit disappointing losing their first two games, but they've won four in a row now uh, and have well, like Amanda Jane Wellington took five for eight. It's uh, it's just been an incredible performance over the last few games and they've pushed their way back into the top four and are, and are looking towards finals now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adelaide, I guess, are a confidence team because they got one win. They just kept going. Yeah. Um, and um, they've fought really well, um, particularly the bowlers, as you mentioned, Amanda Jade Wellington, but also Darcy Brown's been really good. Megan yeah. Shute's been really good. They probably have the most dangerous bowling attack in the uh, in the WBBL. And um, they've they've been really effective in, in limiting pretty strong teams to average scores. You know, the Scorchers, for example, um, they limited them to kind of kind of a pretty average score. And um, yeah, so ultimately they've been able to chase when they've had to chase or they've been able to defend totals that maybe they haven't felt that great about, but they've been batting decently too. So, you know, they're they're a really strong team. And um, right now, if they keep going the way they're going, they're, they're probably the favourites. Yeah, I think so. And then the Renegades have been really disappointing. They're currently on the bottom of the table. I think we predicted them top four. And uh, it just hasn't worked out that way. They haven't followed up this season from from what was a pretty good year last year. No, they haven't really been able to get their batting together. And that's sort of been the situation for them. They've been batting first a lot and not getting great totals. Um, and yeah, um, I guess th- there seems to be some level of mental mental aspect there with the Renegades. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. But yeah, they're just not producing the um, the standard that you'd have maybe expected based on you know their personnel. But, you know... Oftentimes in tournaments like this, there's a surprise package and sometimes the surprise package is a team performs below the standards you'd expect them to. And that's ultimately been what's happened with the Renegades. Yeah. Uh, what, some of the, what are some of the other big moments that you've seen during the week? Um, so wicket celebrations have been fantastic. Um, so Sophie Devine is doing a wicket celebration um, charity challenge. Um, yep. It's raising money for emerging leaders in um, the Western Australian Cricket Association, um, promoting um, women and um, young girls becoming leaders in cricket. And um, she's basically, she likes a good animated celebration herself. Yep. And um, she's decided that she wants to see everyone else do a really good animated celebration. And um, the strikers in particular, have had some really great ones. Um, I remember, I think it was Bushby um, pretended to faint during one of the, uh, <laughs> the celebrations, which is um, very, very good. 
Um, they they had one where they I think they all lifted up Darcy Brown, which was <laughs> which was um interesting. And um, you know, we've had some some of the iconic uh celebration imitations, you know, the Brett Lees, the uh the Cristiano Ronaldo's, the LeBron Jameses, that sort of thing. And um that's been that's been really fun to see. And um seeing the players, they seem to really enjoy it and you know they choreograph kind of how they do it. So it's incentive to bowl well and um it's uh it's good fun. It's um it brings it brings an element of uh of entertainment to the broadcast that um you maybe didn't get um in the past couple of seasons. Yeah I'm glad that uh some of the older Fox uh, cricket commentators haven't seen that because I'm sure they'd have some issues with it. Um, some of the stuff that's caught my eye, though, Laura Walbart's come into some good form. She had 48 in one of the games, which is good for the strikers. Uh, they really they rely on, you know, some good top-order performances. And then Alyssa Healy, I think it was the game after she got named vice-captain for Australia, smashed 78 from 54, uh, back in some good form. I think she hadn't hit a half-century this year in any form of cricket. So, yeah, good to, good to see her back on... Uh, back up the top there and then Aaron Burns has continued her form we spoke about her last week and she's striking at something like 160 and averaging I don't know almost 100 or something like that um, and she's she's been pretty incredible in the middle order really uh, dominating the bat there yep she's been like you know she's been the consistent force for the for the sixes you know they've had they've had lots of highs and lots of complementary highs to what yep. Burns has been doing which is really good you know the healing innings that you mentioned um, Perry struck really well in the in the beginning of the season um, Bates is is you feel like Bates is close to having a really big performance and um, you know that's always something that opposing teams need to think about and you know that helps the Sixers as well and it helps Aaron Burns in particular if she's out there and she's out there with Bates you know for example so um, yeah they've been they've been really good and Walvart as you mentioned has started to get into really good form and we kind of expected that you know in our preview we we, we were quite complimentary of her and we have been vindicated, which is nice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, it's been a little less competitive, but I think that's mainly been a symptom of how good the strikers have been and how poor the Renegades have been, um, is, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, the more recent games have been quite competitive. Um, I remembered I highlighted here um, one of the more recent games. Uh, sorry, let me find it. Yes, the uh, the Scorchers and the Heat. It was mm-hmm. a uh, a three run win for the Scorchers. Um, they played. Um, I think it was Saturday. Yes, yeah, Saturday night, and um, yeah, it was a really good game. Um, they they the Scorchers put up one forty for seven. So you know you're like, oh, is that going to be enough? Is that going to be a good score? They dropped a lot of wickets. You know everything yeah. like that, and um, they bowled just as well and ended up getting getting a, a clutch result. So um, it's really good to see. Um, it's good to see. Um you know, decent totals as well as good bowling. You know, it was a good contest between bat and ball, which we like to see. And um, I think that was a particular highlight for me in terms of the uh, the uh, particular games um, that happened. You know, they're playing a lot of games in the WBL right now, yeah. which is a little bit unfortunate because the T20 World Cup's happening as well. So they're ultimately getting a little bit overshadowed. Yeah, I think looking at that Scorchers game, I think it's good that the Scorchers still got a win with Divine hitting only two and then Mooney hitting only 13. You know, the middle order finally getting a goal and, and it working out, which is good to see there. You just said it, and I think uh, it's the elephant in the room, right? The tournament has been overshadowed, right? I haven't seen any of the WBL because there's just not enough time. Um, and a lot of these games are overlapping, right? It's uh, it's kind of gone to the background while the World, World Cup's on. Uh, unfortunate, but, you know, when you have a domestic tournament and the World Cup on, the World Cup's always going to take precedence. Uh, it'll happen later in the year when the, the Women's T20 World Cup is on as well um, in South Africa. That'll that'll take precedence over whatever domestic cricket is happening in Australia. Uh, so unfortunate, but uh, it's just how it is with the scheduling at the minute. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we spoke about this kind of last episode, you know, the scheduling is just, it's ultimately what they decided to decided to do. Um, yeah. There was something that had to um, take a take a back step when it's, you know, in cricketing conditions. And um, unfortunately, the WBBL was the one that suffered there. Um, and yeah, too much cricket to keep up with. I know it's difficult. Um, I was only really able to catch the highlights of the various... Um, WBBL games simply because yeah I was quite invested in the T20 World Cup and you know among working on other things um it's just it's a lot to keep up with and you know every every cricket match goes for at least you know two hours they're not they're not the quickest things so if you're trying to watch you know I think there was something like 20 games in the past week um in australia so that's um that's a lot to have to have to deal with um you know that's that's probably more than a full-time work schedule i would say so it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot to keep up with and um ultimately it's 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 meant um the wbbl suffered a little bit but i think you know they've they've kept their heads up and they've been performing well they've been giving their all which is really really good mm. and um i think you know the wbbl in terms of quality has really been developing Yep. And I think they'll take the momentum from this tournament and from being a little bit under the radar in this tournament and take it into the next tournament and wow everyone. Yeah. And I think that's kind of that's kind of the way they need to look at it. And that's kind of the the ambitious way you need to look at the uh the whole the whole league. Yeah, adversity will only help going forward, obviously. But right now a little bit difficult. And I think a lot of the issue has been they have, I think I mentioned it last week, they're moving out to country grounds and you know, they've been playing a lot of cricket in Ballarat this week. Um, Ballarat is not a place you want to go at the best of times, let alone for uh, for cricket. And then Allen Borderfield, which is, you know, it's a good oval. They play a lot of domestic cricket there and it'll probably be a big part of the uh, Olympic Games when that comes to Australia. But, you know, it's not the Gabba. It's not uh, those other fields that uh, are so important in Australia that, you know, they just don't have access to at the moment with the T20 World Cup taking up the bigger venues and then Sheffield Shield and Marsh Cup taking up some of the smaller ones, you know, they're playing the Wacker and, and Cameron, Cameron rolls an oval in a minute uh, for the Sheffield Shield. So they've really pushed the WBBL out to these outgrounds. And then next week, looking at that schedule, they're at Lilac Hill for a lot of it. Um, I've played quite a lot of cricket at Lilac Hill. It's not a bad ground, probably better for batting than uh, pretty much anywhere else in the country. But it's not really, you know, where you want your premier domestic competition to be at. You want them at the stadiums where people can go and watch it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, um, you know, we don't like to think of it this way, but, you know, domestic cricket leagues are mar- marketing enterprises and you, you want them to be in a position to succeed and that they're not put in a position to succeed when they're in these lesser known venues, these lesser known um, stadiums, because they just don't have the same capacity. So even if there was enough interest, they'd be like, oh, well, it's in Ballarat. That's a bit of a trek, that sort of thing. Um, so then, you know, potential patrons, potential uh, viewers just won't tune in um so that's something they need to look at and something they need to work on but you know like like we've mentioned already it's a symptom of the major tournament happening and um it's just something that they need to look at in the future yeah even just with crowds you know a lot of people would have already spent their you know cricket going budgets for the year whether it's pre booking test matches or going to these world cup matches that you know uh, the ones the mcg costing upwards of 400 dollars for the best seat so yeah, it's, it's not ideal, that's for sure. We'll look at who's looking good for the finals. And for me, I think the finals is already set, really. The Sixers, Scorchers, Strikers and Heat, you know, they've already got a buffer between them and that next 
next lot. And the Renegades are, are right down the bottom, having won just one of their games and lost the last five in a row. The Sixers currently at the top with 10 points with one loss. Scorchers with nine points. They've won four and then had a game rained out. And then the Strikers and Heat on eight each in the middle there. Uh, but the Strikers have played one less game, so they've got a little bit of advantage there, also having won their last four in a row. So I think I think that's uh, it's already pretty much locked in for me. Yeah, look, looking at those teams and look at the way the tournament's panned out so far in terms of, you know, various performances, those are the four best teams. So I think that would be the best finals, and I think that's what the finals ought to be. Um, obviously, the Stars could come into form. They've got some quite dynamic players um, on their squad. Um, the Hurricanes as well. They're another one that we highlighted um, before the season. And, um, you know, a, a string of a few results can definitely change things. But right now, those look like the four best teams. And um, I would be quite happy if those were the teams that made the finals. Yeah, you mentioned the Sydney, uh, the Thunder and the Stars there. Their game just got called off about 20 minutes ago for rain. So they're going to share the points, which is unfortunate, not going to help either of those teams. We'll move on, though, to six or out, everyone's favourite segment of the week. And I'll kick things off with a pretty simple question. Who's going to win the World Cup? South Africa. Interesting. Why? Um, they haven't lost. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> if 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 you go through a tournament and you don't lose, then by logic you win the tournament. <laughs> I'm being I'm being a little bit um a little bit uh silly with that that particular analysis, but um they just look beating India is huge. And they beat India and they looked reasonably confident doing so. Um, so I feel like, you know, beating the best T20 side um, kind of puts you in, in the conversation of being the best T20 side. So, you know, um, it, it'll be interesting what happens in the semifinals, who they play. Um, it might be particularly difficult if they end up playing New Zealand, for example. But I think if they can get through their semifinal and they can get through the tournament. Fair enough. Good call. All right, so my first question is a bit of a bit of a different theme. Um, our, our our friend from Edge of the Crowd, Dan, was talking about um, netballers in their uh, in their various ads and that sort of thing, and their acting chops. Um, who do you think is the best actor in cricket? Oh, that's a, such a weird question. Um, uh, David Warner acted like he wasn't cheating. There's one. Um, I don't know. There's some of the some of those Alinta Energy ads were terrible. You know, Pat Cummins and Nathan Lyon were not good at them at all. Even Tim Payne with the I don't know if you remember the one with the gloves. He was taking something out of the oven with his weird keeping gloves. Uh, a lot of bad acting there. Um, uh, Mike Whitney would be the best actor. He's done heaps of TV stuff. Former cricketer. Who dares wins? He's the best uh, actor out of any of the cricketers. Um, <laughs> that was an odd question. A little bit more cricket focused. Uh, have the Australian selectors and coaches been too loyal to Aaron Finch and Pat Cummins over the last two weeks? Oh, maybe. Um, I don't know. I guess it's a matter of who you'd have in waiting in the wings um, as to if they've, if they've been too patient or too loyal. Um, you know, Cameron Green is obviously that big, that big name in regards to both of those players. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Maybe it's too soon to unleash him, but I feel like in in mine and in a lot of other people's opinions, it's the time to try him somewhere. And um, that's one of those players who should make way. Um, 
Finch is at least playing decently in terms of T20 form. I mean, obviously his average isn't going great, but he, he was okay beforehand. So maybe maybe Cummins stepping aside for a moment and giving Green the role and playing a bit of a longer batting order um, might be might be the way to go. Um, so I think, yes, there's been an element of um, too much loyalty, but I'm also all about giving giving players a chance to, you know, find their form. Yeah, I think... Uh... There's no reason that Pat Cummins would, uh, sorry, Cameron Green would bowl any worse than Pat Cummins and obviously offer something with the bat as well. So I think that's probably the way to go. What we'll see in about six minutes when that team is announced. Um, off to you. Sure. Um, so my next question is, with the surprises in the T20 World Cup, um, is the gap between the major teams and the minor teams truly shortening? Or is it a matter of that bowling being enhanced? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it's down to conditions. Obviously, the, the bowling has uh, helped these these smaller nations or, or less strong nations. But uh, the gap is definitely shrinking, right? There's no reason that, you know, we can see anyone beat anyone any day. And the shorter the formats get, the closer uh, games get as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we're moving away from the current T20 World Cup setup and going to a more you know, a FIFA World Cup style for 2024. I think that will provide a lot more upsets. Unfortunately, though, the ICC won't be happy if, you know, an India or a Pakistan gets knocked out early. Um, and that's kind of what we saw in 2007. And that's why um, we went to this kind of more insular approach. So I, I'd love to see more games between all of these sides, but unfortunately it doesn't do well for the dollars um, at the minute, but hopefully that changes. Uh, my last one, has the balance between the bat and ball in this tournament made it the best T20 World Cup we've seen so far? In recent memory, definitely. Yeah, no, I think it's been been the best T20 World Cup in terms of quality of cricket. I think it's been really good. Um, I think some of the scheduling has been questionable. Um, you know, we've seen some stadiums that have had quite a few empty seats. Um, but I think in terms of the quality of the product on the field, it's been really good and it's probably been the best. Maybe not the best spectacle, but it's been the best cricket. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think it's a very different World Cup this week than it was when we did the episode last week. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. My final question is, um, should we look at more bowlers as captains? Oh, uh, yeah, well, uh, looking at the, the batting numbers from captains so far in the tournament, I'd say so, because most of them can't hit the ball off the square, but... Uh, for me, I don't think it should matter if they're a batter or a bowler. I think it's just who's better at the job. Um, at the moment, it looks like the bowlers will be better at the job, but there's also other batters, like we mentioned before, David Miller for Timber Bavuma. Uh, I, I think what just needs to happen is you can't just be picking captains because they're the captain. Like if you're not performing, anyone should be able to be dropped. And part of that is having a culture where there's heaps of leaders in a side. I think Australia has that culture, but they're not willing to pull that trigger. You know, there's no reason. Uh, Glenn Maxwell can't captain a game or Marcus Stoinis or anyone really. Matthew Wade is there, um, but they, they don't want to do that. They seem to want to stay loyal to, to one person uh, to the detriment of their side often. And, and that's unfortunate. You know, there's a lot of teams there that could be improved by bringing in someone off the bench, uh, but it's just not happening at the minute, which is unfortunate. I will move on though to the final part. That's just some random cricket news from the weekend. This week, uh, Tim Payne and, and Faf Duplessis have had excerpts of books uh, come out into the into the world. Um, they've kind of been attacking each other a little bit in these books. Um, Tim Payne has been pointing the finger and basically saying everyone was cheating in South Africa, which, you know, the, he, he suggested that they did, uh, Supersport deleted some coverage that showed that uh, South Africa was, was also 
doing some odd stuff to the ball. And uh, I think that was, it's just interesting, right, that he's trying to push the blame out to everyone rather than, you know, focusing on David Warner and Cam Bancroft, which, to be honest, we all knew it wasn't just those two, did we? didn't we? Yeah, look, there was a lot of lot of collusion involved. Um, Steve Smith was obviously involved, especially considering his reaction. Um, but yeah, I mean, what was interesting is when I remember, I remember Sandpaper Gate, and I remember thinking about, hang on, was there an issue with Fuff Duplessis and Gum? Yep. Wasn't that a thing for like a good while? Um, but yeah, no, they kind of that didn't get mentioned or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's natural that each of those individuals are going to speak ill of the other yeah. <laughs> just in light of their various situations. Um, but I don't really know how productive it is. I mean, maybe it's productive in having the conversation about, you know, is there more wider spread cheating and is there something that we need to fix there? But mm-hmm. it kind of just comes off as resentment and, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome to be resentful in your own time. I don't think it helps anything um, in terms of, you know, the public cricket perception and the, and the way, you know, you want to move forward in terms of your, your past cricketing figures and your future cricketing figures. I think, you know, that sets a bad precedent and that's um, kind of a bad look. Yeah. I, I think we're going to have this discussion uh, every year, basically until all of the players that are involved retire, because they're all going to have books and they're all going to talk about it because it's going to sell well. Um, Dave, the David Warner book will be particularly interesting. I would have thought uh, the, the, the thing that's interesting for me though, is that these are two players that, uh, their careers both ended prematurely, at least internationally, right? Faf Duplessis uh, is still technically available to South Africa. They just don't pick him because he retired from test cricket and doesn't want to be loyal, something like that, wants to play in the IPL. And obviously Tim Payne with the, with the other cheating scandal, um, he still thinks he should be test captain. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's, um, I don't think that was ever the answer. What's come out though, is that Cricket Australia brought in a, a like a, HR specialist from outside of outside of cricket, uh, former, I think he was the, the chief editor for the Australian and then did some work in the Liberal Party as well. And he effectively told Tim Payne to step down from the captaincy and it should all go away. And then that escalated into um, him, well, essentially retiring, but giving up test cricket. And it looks like that career is pretty much over now. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, look, I can understand how he feels like he's got the short end of the stick there um, just because of, you know, the narrative of how everything panned out. Um, But yeah, I mean, now he he may think he's still, still suitable. Um, I'm not sure if he's, he's the option to look at. I mean, his, his batting has always been a question mark and he's not been batting much better since he's come back. He is an excellent wicket keeper, but skills wise, carry is still pretty up there. Um, so I don't think you're missing out on too much by selecting carry over um, over pain. And um, there's there's a few there's a few good wicket keeping prospects around Australia that you don't really need to look at. You know, Tim Payne being 36, 37, um, definitely not that young of a young of a player. And um, you know, when when you look at new selections into a team or bringing a player back into the team, you kind of look at longevity. And I would not see that much longevity in in putting Tim Payne into the Test team. Yeah, I think he's he's right to feel that he was thrown under the bus a little bit. Obviously, there was an investigation that cleared him of any kind of uh, wrongdoing in terms of harassment, that kind of thing. So it was it was just a cheating scandal. And uh, guess what? Shane Warne played plenty of cricket, and uh, he was not the most faithful of guys either. So yeah, I think he can feel a little hard done by, but uh, it is what it is, and and probably time to move on. 
Uh, the book overall will be interesting. They're definitely one to have a read of. The other news that came out during the week was that the IPL is thinking about, or has at least approached some Australians about year-round contracts. You know, you'd, you'd play IPL cricket, you'd play in South Africa, in the CPL, and then in the UAE for these teams that are all owned by the IPL teams um, for essentially what is a $5 million a year contract. That is uh, not good for the future of the game and if you like care about international cricket. Yep, that's... um. That's franchising cricket, isn't it? That's ultimately what that that situation yeah. is. And, um, you know, we've spoken about it and, you know, a lot of other people have spoken about it. And they, they, you want kind of competitive different leagues and you want, um, you know, kind of a solid domestic system in most places. And if that's something that's put into place, then you're only going to see those top elite players, those top marketing players, the players that get selected to the international teams, are only going to play exclusively in those leagues. And that's just going to be pretty disappointing for a lot of a lot of smaller markets that maybe don't get, get to look at them or don't have the same broadcasting or anything like that. And yeah, it's um I guess it's a matter of deciding, you know, what the players associations think they want to do and what the cricket boards um decide is the way forward there. Um I wouldn't be surprised if it does happen, but I would also be disappointed. Yeah, I, I, for me though, five million dollars is more than enough to take a. I don't know. Let's give Ben McDermott as an example. You get Ben McDermott five million a year. Um, Pat Cummins though, I don't think five million a year is gonna gonna take him over to the IPL. You know, his cricket Australia contracts two million a year, and then there's match fees on top of that, which are you know quite a lot of money. I think fifteen thousand dollars for a T Twenty these days. You know, they're, they're getting played big chunks of money, and then of course there's sponsorship deals in Australia, which are also worth quite a few dollars. You know, I'm sure that Gillette sponsorship that he's doing is, is worth a few million to him as well. And then there's the, the lifestyle aspects of having to move over to India and, and that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's just not quite enough money as of yet to take those big players. But if it's it's really those second tier players that you have to worry about, you know, um, your Ben McDermott's, those Ashton Agar, maybe those kind of people that don't necessarily play red ball cricket as well. Um, if you're a white ball player, th- this is a, a big payday for you and is, is ultimately going to change change the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting um, when you think about match fees and international cricket contracts and that sort of thing. Um, I know recent, it was recently announced by the BCCI that um, the women's cricket is going to get the same match fees as the men's, which is awesome. Really good step to take. Um, they're the second board to do it after New Zealand. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe those match fees are starting to lag behind in terms of if these are the kind of contracts that are being offered to players in international leagues, then maybe that there's something that the the international creative boards need to examine and, um, you know, maybe it's a matter of funding, maybe it's a matter of fundraising. I'm not exactly sure what the situation is, but um, there's something that's not quite in balance and that needs to be addressed. Yeah. I think I mentioned it, uh, it must've been a couple of months ago, like to, to bring Tim David in, the best thing to do would be to uh, really raise those match fee payments to, you know, keep him around for Australia. Cause he's obviously not going to accept a, a, a a central contract because he's not playing test cricket. So maybe that's the best way to do it. Um, I'm not too sure, but we'll move on to Will Pukowski. He, uh, Victoria named their squad for the Sheffield Shield game, which has begun a few days ago. And Will Pukowski was not in it. He's taking another break for mental health reasons. Uh, it's just unfortunate that, you know, this, this kind of thing keeps happening and we can't, you know, he, he's so close to that Australian team so often and, you know, concussion or mental health stuff just keeps him out. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. But, you know, mental health is really important and something Absolutely. you really need to watch out for and take care of. So, you know, um, good luck to Will. And I hope he um, manages to work through whatever he's going through. 
and um you know it's it's with a lot of players you see you see kind of you think a lot about what if especially considering how Bukowski played in the tests that he played um you know you think about what if they didn't get injured or what if you know they didn't take a break then or whatever anything like that um it's hard um that narrative is certainly something that's interesting but I think it's unfair to the players and unfair to the players that have played um to say oh what if so and so was in the team um I think you just need to look at you know he performed well when he did play for Australia and that was cool. And um, he's a good player when he does play and that's really cool. Um, and it's, um, you know, you want, want to see the best of him and you want to see people succeed. And um, I think that's kind of the, the way to look at the situation for, for a lot of players and particularly for Will Bukowski, you know, you just want what's best for him and you want, you want the players to be the happiest that they are in whatever they're doing. Yeah, hopefully just a, a short break, come back after Christmas and uh, smash some runs and get back to the Australian team. That's what everyone wants to see. Um, and hopefully that's what Will wants as well. Obviously, what he wants to do is, is obviously up to him and uh, I'm sure he'll he'll do what he needs to do to get back. Um, the other thing that came up that was a little bit odd, uh, kind of linked to Virat Kohli being uh, his hotel room being broken into, was India were not happy with their food after playing, uh, I think it was the, one of the warm-up games. Um you know, they complained that four hours of exercise effectively and they were given cold sandwiches and it's not good enough. I don't know. I think this is a little bit of uh, India being spoiled in, at home and it's uh, a little bit different when you're when you're away, especially at an ICC event, when there's so much to take care of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the details of the catering, so I can't really comment one way or the other. Um, maybe if it is just like half a tiny sandwich, I'd feel pretty rough if I, if I just come off um, four hours, you know, playing my best and that's all I got given. Um, but, but, you know, it's, um, it, that there can possibly be an element of privilege there. Um, again, I don't know enough of the situation to, to comment on it, but, um, it feels like a silly thing to talk about. Yeah. I think, uh, just wait an hour and then order when you get back to your hotel. I think that's probably the answer there. Um, rather than complaining, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Move on to some Sheffield Shield stuff from the week though. Pete Hanscom, it's even more runs. I think we mentioned his double century last week. He hit 94. Um, this week, he's he's averaging something like 117 and already has 584 runs for the Sheffield Shield season. He's um, really knocking on the door of test selection. But someone else that's come into the back to that Victorian team as the replacement for Pekowski is Ashley Chandra Singer. Uh, I think we mentioned him a few weeks ago as one to look out for. He came in and made a century on debut off about 300 balls and really showed, I don't know, some old school opening batting. Yep. Yep. Um, very, very classic, you know, um, if it's there to hit, then you can maybe get a run from it. Um, if it's not your block or leave and you know, that's, that's, that's good test cricket. You know, a lot of, a lot of um, players have had extremely successful careers having that exact same um, approach. So um, definitely a nice long form prospect to look at and um, there'll be um there'll certainly be um, some developments there in regards to um, how his averages go and um, how he ends up performing against different teams and different grounds and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, Peter Hanscom has been great. And Peter Hanscom at this point feels like he should be in the test team. And, you know, when it comes to that South Africa series that we you know, mentioned a little bit earlier, um, I would want to see Hanscom in the squad because I think he is a really good test player. And I think it was rough when he got dropped the first time. And I think he still has a lot to offer. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, what we've been taking Marcus Harris as the extra batter 
into a lot of these squads. And I think, you know, Peter Hanscom is performing better than Harris, that's for sure. Even, you know, Harris has been scoring some runs. I think he had a one-day century a few days ago. But, yeah, Hanscom's really the, the next best batter in the country at the minute. Um, and, you know, he's obviously pretty good against spin. So that could come into contention when we get to that Indian tour. Uh, the other ones from Tasmania, uh, Riley Meredith is back playing shield cricket, which is really good to see. Uh, super fast bowler, interesting action. But the other one that happened today, Jordan Silk hit an unbeaten 150 while captaining Tassie. I think he hit something like uh, his last 100 runs off 80 balls when Tasmania were going at eight and over in the middle session. Uh, some pretty some pretty brutal hitting there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've seen him for the sixes. Silk has that um that potential mm. to really really get it going when um when he needs to. And um, he decided, you know what, I'm going to do it in a longer form as well. <laughs> And, um, yep, he, he showed why he's um, such a highly esteemed domestic Australian player. And, um, yeah, it was just – it was really quite something to watch, you know, going eight and over in a, in a session of, you know, one of those kind of uh, one of those kind of games. It's uh, definitely uh, not something you see every day and something entertaining. You know, you think of um, the big uh, innings Warner has had in the, uh, in the test mm-hmm. format, for example. You know, it, it had that kind of feel to it. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good, good captain's knock. Maybe, maybe Jordan Silk's someone we need to look at at bringing into the T Twenty team and and maybe leading it. But um, yeah, nah, it's um, it, it's it's good to see that um, there's good, exciting performances in domestic cricket going on at the same time. Yeah, some other ones from Tasmania. Tim Ward hit ninety one. He had a really good season last year. And then Caleb Jewell hit another fifty. He's uh, I think he's the second highest run scorer this season. So there's a few to keep an eye on there. As I mentioned, though, Peter Hanscom is one that's being looked at for the new tour. The other one's Matt Renshaw. He obviously hit that double hundred last week. Um, it's really interesting to see these guys coming through. You know, they've both been discarded in the past. Um, pretty unfairly, I think. They both averaged somewhere near 40, which uh, Australia would definitely take now, you know, you know, averaging 40 and can play spin well. Um, I think you should definitely be in contention with those sides. And Matt Renshaw has importantly moved himself back up to the top of the innings for uh, Queensland and moving Kawaja down to four, which... I think kind of signals the intentions of both him and Cricket Australia. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I think a lot of the issue with Renshaw before is they felt he didn't fit in with the playing group, but I think the culture's changed a little bit. So I think it's probably worth giving him another go. Um, he is a talented player. Um, he, he, he was obviously a bit shaky a bit um, during yeah. his test career. You know, we remember a lot of plays and misses, um, which is not the greatest thing to look at when you're looking at test batting, but you know, plays and misses are better than edges. Very true. <laughs> and um, you know, he, he's got a good average. Like you mentioned, he's had some big scores in some important moments and um, he's, he's, he's not old. So, you know, he's a good, he's a good kind of um, kind of player to look at in terms of either a squad player or a player who can, you know, open or maybe be moved down the order and that sort of thing and have yeah. a versatile batter in the, uh, in the test squad, which is, which I think would be a very, very valuable asset. Yeah, absolutely. He's only 26 or something, Matt Ranchor. So, you know, he's been around a long time. But I think he debuted for Australia when he was 20. So, um, yeah, obviously been around a little while, but still pretty young. Uh, has at least 10 years of test cricket in him if he wants to. The issue for uh, for me, bringing Hanscom, is that he could take that middle order spot off Glenn Maxwell that I want to see uh, him take in that Indian tour. Obviously, uh, Maxwell bowls a little bit more than Hanscom does, that's for sure. But Hanscom might also go as the backup wicketkeeper. Um, that would be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Maxwell uh, onto some other test cricket. Obviously, the West Indies are coming here 
Uh, I think those tests started the end of November. I think the 30th is the first game. And uh, someone that's been brought in is Tangerine Chanderpool, not Tangerine, but Tangerine uh, Chanderpool, obviously the son of, of Shivran. Uh, he averages 34 with five centuries of domestic cricket and a, a very technically solid left-handed batter who uh, sets up quite differently from his father, not that square on stuff that we used to see from, from, uh, from the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 fun seeing um family legacies in um sport and um in cricket. It's um you know no different. And um, I'm not sure if he's going to play, but it will be interesting to see if he does. Um, that average is decent. Um, but you know maybe wouldn't doesn't set the world alight. Um, it would depend on his form as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's exciting that um you know. Um, they're selecting different players and, um, you know, the West Indies have been in a bit of a state of flux in terms of most of their cricketing formats. So, you know, I think any change is a welcome one and um, it'll be interesting to see how they perform. You know, if they win a test in Australia, then that could really put them right back on the, uh, on the up. Yeah, absolutely. Their batters have been struggling for a little while. So making a change is important. I just wanted to say that uh, Shivran Chandrapur is probably the most underrated player. Like if you were to, if I were to give most people a quiz on who's hit 10,000 test runs, I think they'd get most of them, but probably not Chanderpool. He just kind of flew under the radar, especially playing a lot of cricket alongside uh, Brian Lara and then, you know, Chris Gale a little bit later on. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we go, though, is the Australian squad for the game against Ireland. Uh, they have made just one change, and that is Adam Zampa in from Ashenega. So nothing exciting happening at all. Disappointing from Australia. I mean, Adam Zampa's exciting. We like Zampa. Well, yeah, just coming back in from COVID, though. Yeah, no, it's... um. I suppose it's not a surprise, though, is that, you know, um, Australia are rather risk-averse when it comes to uh, um, changing during a tournament or during a series even. And, um, yeah, that's that's ultimately what's happened. They've gone, you know, um, Zampa's available, Zampa's our best spinner, in he goes. Oh, what about maybe one of the best? No, no, this is what we're going with. Okay. Um, so, yeah, um, let's hope they perform. Let's hope they have a, have a, good, a good game against Ireland. Absolutely. I think they should get a win there. That'll wrap things up, though. We both have to get off to watch this game and, uh, and cover it in different ways. Um, Callum, where can people find you on socials before we go off to the cricket? Yep, I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. Follow the show at the Top Edge Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Plenty of content on there over the next few days. Uh, give the show a rating and review and check out all the written work at edgeofthecrowd.com. But that's where we'll leave it for the week. We'll call stumps and we'll see you all next week for a massive uh, Another World Cup episode.